So today's lesson text comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 16 through 28. Now as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. And they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with a demon, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of it. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and the people kept asking one another, What is this? A new teaching? With authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Thanks to God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray through the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts. We may so order our lives to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. So today we see the natural consequences of what we looked at last week. For a bit of a reminder, we focused heavily on verse 15 immediately preceding, where Jesus went through Galilee and proclaimed the gospel that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And we spoke about how the kingdom of God was God's own action moving in and starting to perturb the world of mankind, and that in the understandings of the ancient Hebrews and throughout all of church history, the kingdom of God has been something that is either in or out. It is something divisive where one makes the decision, you are either with God or you are against Him. Now that's important to bring up because just as we go through the Gospel of Mark, there is a tendency in this book that scholars like to call the Markian Sandwich. Now, what that means is that Mark liked to take stories, and he would bring up a topic, fill in some meat with another story, maybe some lettuce and tomato down here with another story, and then he would close off the topic by introducing it again. And that fits very well with what church tradition tells us is the origin of the Gospel of Mark. We are told that Mark is the same uh, John Mark, that is in the book of Acts, who went with the disciple Peter, and then Mark wrote Peter's preaching down, and Peter had a habit of telling things out of order and topically. So, 
The fifth church tradition that things get very topical in the Gospel of Mark, and, and that comes here today with verse 15. The kingdom is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent, believe in the good news. That's the first slice of bread. And we kind of end up in 27. What is this? A new teaching and authority. And his fame began spreading throughout the region of Galilee. That kind of makes his sandwich. And today we are going to fill it. So our first story today is the familiar calling of the disciples while they are out fishing. And we have the, the, the more miraculous versions in Luke that, that tend to get the focus, and you probably have heard children's songs about it. I don't want Peter, James, and John in a sailboat, Peter. And it even has the fun toss your head on the other side and rolling, 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 fishing, rolling. And we tend to hear the pieces of men, if it's preached on as being a positive, a positive note about how the disciples are now to go and preach salvation to all the nations. And we are all encouraged by what is said in verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We're encouraged by the fact it doesn't rest on these Galileans, these poor little workers, and, and it is the power of Christ that enables the disciple to spread the good news. Now that tends to be the very positive spin we put on it, so because you've probably heard it, and we are focusing so much on how we describe verse 1. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we're going to be so insistent on letting Mark define that for us. Now we will be looking at this story of the fishers and the way Mark presents it. There is here none of the casting your nets on the other side. But what there is here is the phrase that I will make you fish for people. Now, with the children's songs and the fact that we always look at the disciples as, as every man and, and, we, and we encourage people to, to um, see themselves in their shoes, we, we tend to Sunday school that. But you have to realize, these are fishermen. You know what fishermen do all day? They cut fish. If you already fish, you're swimming along in the ocean, the last person you want to run into is a fisherman. The Old Testament image of the net that's, that comes in here is summed up pretty well by Jeremiah 16, 16. One of a few, it's just the easiest to remember. And in the Old Testament, God is always established as the fisher of men. Because as the book of Ecclesiastes says, that death is like a calamity. Like a fish just swimming along in its net, it catches everyone up. And when the prophets speak about fishermen, it tends to go like this, Jeremiah 16, 16. I am now sending for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall catch the people. And afterwards I shall send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill, and out of all the clefts of the rocks. It's easy to wax poetic about Simon and Andrew when Jesus calls them. And I was actually tempted to do it a little bit when I got to this passage. 
It's easy to wax romantic about how they're working their day job, they're peasants. It, it's not glorified work being a fisherman in the first century. It's one of the lowest social castes you can be. And it's very tempting to wax poetic about here comes Jesus. And I am sure that Jesus had a magnetic personality. Yes, I'm sure there's, there's something here motivating it beyond just Jesus saying, hey, come follow me. I mean, in a way, Jesus and Mark so far sounds a little odd. He's walking around saying, the kingdom of God is here, repent. And now he's walking up to strangers and saying, come follow me. So there's that magnetism that had to be there. But for all that, what I want to get at today is, this had to be really really scary when it was said to the disciples. Jesus' invitation to come be fishers of men. We know now, especially because we found the Dead Sea Scrolls and we have seen how that community used the term. Fishers of men were to be agents of judgment. So to get into this sense of call that Jesus is giving the disciples, he's coming to them and saying, hey, Peter, Andrew, you are to be the instruments by which God's people are judged. Ooh, that's a different thing than just saying, hey, you're going to be reading Sunday school and telling everyone how much Jesus loves them. And in a way, Mark is sticking his hands to what's going to happen after this gospel is done. And the first role, they will follow Jesus, they will be his disciples, and they will witness everything he does. But after his resurrection, these disciples are to go forth into the world. And they will very much be fishers of men. Now they will preach the gospel of salvation, and to those who believe it, it will be everlasting life. But in the same way, there's always the flip side to that. To those who will not believe, they will be the hooks sunk into the bait of judgment for other people. It is a terrifying thing and both a wonderful thing to which they are called. But these are fishermen. They knew exactly what it meant to go for fish. So when Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fish for people, this fits very much into what Jesus has just said in verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So the time has come. Simon, Andrew, James and John. The kingdom of God is here and you must make a decision. And this decision you will make will be for others, either their salvation or their doom. But you don't get a choice anymore. That's what these men are confronted with. It's not, it's not so much the, the romantic, wow, this Jesus is a really magnetic person like you see on History Channel documentaries. This is everything they had ever hoped for coming to them. Because they had been living lives, yes, of menial labor, of fishing every single day, of wondering when is this Roman occupation going to end? When is this world going to change? In some ways, Mark is making a sandwich here even of some things that go up above in verse 12, where the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness and he's there for 40 days, tempted by Satan, wild beasts and the angels. It's when Jesus is out in the wilderness that he's confronted with the fact, well, what's one of the temptations of Satan? 
bow down to me and worship me, and I will give you the kingdoms of men, for they belong to me. Jesus resisted temptation, but he never debates Satan that those kingdoms of men are in his hand. And these disciples, being faithful Israelites, hoping to see God make a change. That's what's coming. This, you will be in God's kingdom where there is redemption and salvation, or you will be in this kingdom of the earth. That conflict is there. So I think it, it's rather, it's rather something every disciple can, can see a little bit of themselves. It's not quite the exotic thing we imagine it to be when Jesus says, come follow me. The time has come, the kingdom is here, and I will make you fishers of men. Yes, you may be fish hooks for catching out those who will not come, but at the same time, you will be messengers of my salvation. So that's the first part of our double-decker Marky and Hamburger for today. But we have the second story. Verse 21. Now they went to Capernaum, and we can assume that that is where the disciples lived. It's one of the fishing villages. We still know where it's at. And when the Sabbath came, and this is very much one Sabbath. We talk about any given Sunday. This is the every given Saturday moment for the city of Capernaum. The kingdom has come. The fishman's net is tossed out. And this is going to be the deciding day for that town. He entered the synagogue and talked. Mark doesn't give us any exposition. He doesn't tell us what the subject was, what the verse was. We were given enough in that verse 15 that he's preaching the kingdom of God is coming to repent. But where we miss it, and for this, uh, I want to say translated, misses it, even though it's accurate, it's not quite accurate in feeling, is verse 22. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as described. Now, to get our headspace into what's going on here, we have to go back to, again, our contention in verse 1. That we rush to say, well, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Lord. We, we, we fill in all these different definitions on him, and we do it here. Because we tend to think that when they're astounded at Jesus' teaching, and he speaks to one them as one of authority, we tend to put Jesus is God now. Well, Jesus is really smart. He's really wise. We go to the Gospel of Luke, where he's the little boy in the temple, and he's filling in the, the rabbis on what they're missing. And, and that's where we tend to, to throw this authority. We, we imagine Jesus here as the authority all things have been given to me under earth and heaven. That's not quite the intention here. Remember, Mark is throwing this in a very specific sandwich, where the kingdom of God has come repent. The disciples are just being called to the very scary job of bringing judgment onto the nations, of tossing out nets and catching up souls. So when we get to this, they are astounded at his teaching. That astounding, you know, from the rest of the Gospel of Mark is in a whole nexus of Greek words that people who spend way too much time studying Greek, and I never want to be that smart in Greek, tell us are words for when we nervous. So, it would be better to translate verse 22, they were astounded at his teaching, to get the emotional impact, it would be better to say shocked. 
But that's not just enough. Right? When they stand up in church and shock people, what they really didn't have is something that all of us pastors hope we could do, and I just have to imagine had a better preacher appear to done it to you, is Jesus was convicting them. That's what was really going on here. Jesus, when he got up in the synagogue and was preaching about the kingdom, was preaching in a way that they couldn't get out of it. So when he's teaching as one having authority and not as described, we get a really good example here of what Christian preaching should be, even if it's not what we typically like. Now what the scribes tended to do is they would give you the sense of the verse very much as I do. But the scribes and us poor pastors, who unless we had the aid of the Holy Spirit, would never get beyond it, the best we can do is give you an argument. We can't change your heart, can't change your mind through you. So when the scribes were giving the arguments, were, were preaching, it's not that they're necessarily saying anything different than what Jesus was in this particular instance. We tend to also take Jesus as against the scribes and the Pharisees so far that we imagine we never agree about anything. What What's going on here with this authority and this astounding, though, is Jesus is preaching to this congregation, and for the first time, perhaps for some of them, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is here, good is good, bad is bad, black is black, and white is white, for the first time, for some of those people in that room, it was sinking in. And if you've ever been in a church when the pastor is preaching and the conviction is just hitting, you can feel it. That's the astounding that's going on is this Jesus fellow is coming up in the Sabbath and he is laying it on hot. And he's laying it on in the vein of repentance and believing and judgment. And it is a very uncomfortable cue that day in Capernaum. That's why we get to verse 23. Just then there was a man, there was in your synagogue, a man with a deed. Or as the translation may have it, an unclean spirit. Ooh, Pastor Paul's getting on to esoteric things, but what's really going on here is I think that unclean spirit kind of, kind of tells us what's going on. What's the personality that doesn't want to repent? What is that attitude that when it feels convicted that it has done wrong, that dwells in each and every one of us, that says, no, uh, no, uh, I'm perfectly right. We all know it, we all felt it. Arrogance, pride, refusal to be confronted. Those are the unclean spirits that dwell in each and every one of us every day. And when Jesus was out here laying it hot from the pulpit, convicting people of the things they had done and the beliefs they had failed to believe, the good they had failed to do, this fellow sitting in the pew was getting convicted just like the rest of them. But the unclean spirit, that thing that dwelt deep within him, couldn't take it anymore. And so he gets up and cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Ooh, how many pastors love to, love to let you guys off the hook on that one. What's the demon talking? And he's only talking about 
Jesus confronting the kingdom of the devil. And that is very true. You say the kingdom of God comes, Jesus' job is to confront evil. But this man just as much is speaking for that congregation and confirming that Sunday. Remember, this is Jesus standing up there and preaching the judgment and the, and the fishing of men. These are people who are sitting there hearing and, and, and losing the idea that God's going to be pleased in the way they've, they've lived their life. And Jesus is going to be pulling away any of that hope of salvation except through the cross, except through the gracious gift of God. He's taking all of that away from you. In fact, I wouldn't be amazed if you were sitting in that, in that pulpit in Capernaum, that Sabbath day, that you very much may be thinking to yourself, well then, who could get saved? Because Jesus guy is telling the truth, and we're all out. So it's not much that for that man, that spirit which dwelt in him pushed him to stand up. And so just when he says, what are you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? It's not just the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. It's just as much the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. It's just as much God versus those things outside of his people as it is God and standing in judgment with his people. The neck is out on the floor as it is that day. The hooks are coming back in, and this man can't stand it. Now, it is a demon, as there's Marcus forward in the Gospel of Mark, for when it says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, in Mark that is only spoken by the demonic. His human enemies do not use that, so that one's there. But 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, What is this? Are you teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now Jesus, having riled up this congregation, having gotten them to the point that they think God is completely adversarial, having thrown out this, this net, Having gotten to this point where I'm trying to really get us past the Sunday school, Jesus is nice and pats everyone on the head with a bit of a judgmental marketing, Jesus. It's here that the miracle really comes in and gives us the gospel for the day. Because this is to this church that is convicted. It's to these men that are called and thinking that they're only bringing judgment to people. And it's the moment that they can't stand it. That they get up and start going at it. Jesus, you just completely, no, get out of here. I don't want it. It's to that moment that Jesus says to that man's heart, be silent. And he tells whatever is dwelling in him at his deepest, darkest core to shut up and get out. It's at that moment that the kingdom of God breaks out in that man's heart at the very moment that it seems like everything is surrendered and lost. And Mark is going to use that as an example that as we get through this whole gospel, builds the whole thing up. It's when we get to the cross when Jesus is swallowed up by death and everything seems lost that the big breakthrough happens. And this is the gospel to be read into a church of people who are called out of lies that it is in those worst moments, rock bottoms, that Christ has broken in and come through for us. 
So there's an invitation in this preaching, and even the the reacting to it negatively that, that Mark is giving us. Yes, the disciples will have the definite if you believe you're saved, if you don't believe, judgment is on you. But even in the rejecting here, there's a bit of the shepherd's crook that Jesus is showing. As their church can't stand his preaching, as they get up and rebel against him, it's in that moment that Christ is able to reach out into his people and pluck that demon that was sitting in the very church right out. How many congregations wish that the unclean spirit that dwells in them would come out? Well, quite a few churches, I'm afraid, would not want preaching that was astounding them or having authority to prefer what the scribes say where it was just opinions. And we have again the fact that we are at the beginning of this gospel, and I don't want to win the whole thing from day one on the fight. But Mark slides in the bottom of the bun with verse 28. And at once Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. So Mark gives us a nice little sandwich here. Jesus, in verse 14, after John was arrested, comes to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The kingdom has come near, repent, and believe in the good news. He's called his disciples, and he will now follow him. And his disciples and him entered into a synagogue on any given Saturday, and he preaches a new type of sermon with authority, authority so firm and conviction so gripping that evil can't stand to be in the room with it, and in an act of grace, Jesus cast the evil out, but not the people that have given their lives to it. Of course, the folks are going to start talking about a preacher like this. Let us 